Hey, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, whether you, whether you got a text from Bill Belichick this weekend. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I fucked up. Uh, different sport, different sport. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it again, of course. This is the Football Misfits episode 80. 80? Ooh, 20, 80. 20 away from 100. And I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. And as I said before, yeah, the voice is a little bit more clear today, and you might be wondering why. I'm with the one, the only, Mr. Misfits himself, the man who gets it done, the man with the stickers, you know. <laughs> Get them all you can. <laughs> and, of course, I'm talking about Ronnie. Ronnie, say it was good for the one time. But before you do that. We got to tell him. We doing it live today, baby. Oh, yeah, present. High five. Yeah. Forget the arrow. Did, did y'all hear that? There you go. Let's go. Stay strong. Mm. Be brave, everybody. Um, DM me for stickers if y'all want. <laughs> there we go. Get them on the house. Got packs. Fill me two for the five, five for the ten. Stop playing. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't be the football mistress without the one, the only, the man with the Googles, the numbers, the facts, the sources. Fabrizio Romano, stop calling him. Fact. I'm like, you look thirsty. Of course, y'all, I'm talking about the man at the data desk. Y'all may know him as Spencer, and so do we. Spencer, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love, peace and love. Congrats to Senegal. Peace and love. Clearly, it's a good day for Spencer, huh? I mean, he's got wins on wins on wins. Mo, Mo Salah takes the loss. We'll get to that, of course. Full disclosure, Spencer's still at the data desk while we were here. Oh, yeah, we should also mention that. <laughs> Spencer, Spencer's still virtual, y'all. We'll get to that point. We'll get to that at some point where we're all in the in the room together. But back to the shits, of course. Uh, should we just get right into the stuff? We, we can skip those pleasantries that we call match favorite match of the week, as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, and focus on what's been mattering most to us. And that is the AFCON final. Yes, um, I've gone. We're recording hours after. I say hours like it was forever ago. Like an hour or two after the AFCON final, in which Senegal defeated Egypt on penalties. And by 4 2 was the final result on pens. But before we get to the final and stuff, let's talk about how they got there because semifinals were in full force in the midweek. And the first of the two semifinals featured. Senegal, they played Burkina Faso, and honestly, it was no contest. <laughs> With all due respect, um, Cameroon won that 3-1. Um, expected result. Yeah, I would say that was, was, that was the ass whoop express. Uh, Senegal was letting the goals fly, uh, unlike, obviously, how, how they were doing things in the group stage. And the Burkina Faso, who we, I think, called informed for a little bit of the tournament. They were. Um, yeah, that went out the window. They looked like they were just happy to be there, and Senegal looked like they had business to handle, and handle it they did. Yeah, man. Han, they, they were on a mission to get to the final and win their first ever chip. So they're in the final, and they would play the winner of Egypt and Cameroon. They played at the Lembi Stadium in Yaoundé, and uh, it was a scoreless game throughout 120. Um, Gabal, the goalkeeper for Egypt, again, put it in shifts. Superstar. Superstar. 
Hey man, he, 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 he was waiting for this moment because what did I say off the rip? El, El Shinawi's been for Egypt for a long ass time. And now this guy's getting his ticks and he's making the most of it. I would argue he would be one of the best goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper of the AFCON. But um, he, he proved it in the penalty shootout as well. Again, nothing happened over 120 minutes. <laughs> as has been the as has been the norm, I guess, for Egypt games for some reason. They've been literally, yeah, they've been keeping teams scoreless, and then obviously haven't been scoring many goals themselves. Uh, they didn't need to score many goals in the penalty shootout. Um, they ended three one. Cameroon, um, Vincent Abubakar netted the first penalty, and then everyone who came right behind him missed a shit. Unbelievable, and I gotta say that I. Told Ronnie before the pod, I gotta mention it on air. You were right, fam. I mean, the fact that <laughs> you said that somebody other than Akambi and Vincent Abubakar are gonna need to score for Cameroon. I thought I, I was like, nah, I don't think so. That is exactly what we saw in the penalty shootout as they <laughs> missed everything. What what was disappointing to me? Well, not even disappointing, rather just like mind-boggling. The short ass run-ups. Yo, like, man, why are they acting like they had a gun to their back? Like, you had space. <laughs> Use the space. Especially the last one. The homeboy took one step in and just sent that over. Really? Like, it was just appalling for him. I could bet from them. Yeah, they, they played it. They felt like they, I guess, didn't want to win or didn't deserve to win. But on uh, well, I should say, first things first, as soon as I jump on the Cameroon train, they let me down. So something might be wrong with me, actually. I don't know. But uh, as soon as I leave Senegal in the dust and go on the Cameroon train, they I, I bought into the hype. I thought they had it. And Egypt shut that down in, in probably the most boring fashion I've ever seen. Cameroon obviously didn't make it easy on themselves. But one quick point on uh, Gabal, the Egyptian goalkeeper. Man, he's 33. 33 years young. Put some respect on his age. Wow. Craziness. Playing like that. Got, I mean, he, he got his chance to start, and after obviously Ashinawi's injury, and since since he's been playing, I mean, superstar. Somebody find him, whatever club he plays. <laughs> Play man's place for Al Akhli's rivals Samalek. Um, but then again, Ashinawi is good enough to be in like a European club, but he's still like Al Akhli. Yeah. But I don't know. I, that man's been balling this Afcon. Um. Cameroon know they fucked up. And they were going on that same path in the third place match against Burkina Faso. They gave up three goals off the wrist. But they they climbed back. A uh, quick brace from Abu Bakar to send it to, uh, to penalties. 3-3. Man cannot stop scoring. He <laughs> can't do it. And more players other than the two we mentioned scored for Cameroon. And they won 5-3 on penalties. Um, that brings Abubakar's total goal count to eight. The overwhelming Golden Boot winner at the AFCON. Yeah, far and away. Uh, I'm not sure how many more players even scored two goals, uh, let alone eight, which is nuts to think about. So Abubakar ran away with it, I think, from the first goal he scored at the beginning of the tournament. Um, so, I mean, kudos to him and kudos to Cameroon. The home team, I think, would still have done their nation Proud, obviously not proud enough as they exited in the semis, but that set up the final as uh by the way, the game itself was my it would have been my game of the week, even though I didn't really see it. 
just the way that Burkina Faso were on top. And we're like, I just can't remember we're going to fumble the bag again. Yo, and we love a good comeback. You know, they're, they're always entertaining. But I feel like third place matches, real quick before we get into the final, third place matches be going off. <laughs> I, ain't gonna lie. I mean, it depends on what team it is. If it's Tipu Gutuan, then that third place match is going to be trash. <laughs> but anything else is pretty lit. This was a good, dope ass third place match. <laughs> Tipu Gutuan, the third place game. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, but yes. But you said it's not the final between Senegal and um, Egypt. And off the ready, three minutes in, there's a penalty. Um, well, a deserved penalty, by the way. Yes. No VAR, no bullshit. It was straight to the point. And it was given, you could argue, maybe uh, uh, maybe deserved the red card. The ref said, nah, take the yellow and take the pen. And some drama ensued. If you want to call it drama. I don't call it, it drama. Was, it was some lighthearted jokes. It, it was funny, if anything. So Mo, so Mo Salah is, you know, referring to the goalkeeper. Yo, fam, Salah is taking. He's going to go this way. And then out of nowhere, I see Salah in the cut. No, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go that way. And then he does none of that. He goes straight down the middle. But um, Abu Gabal, he gets a hand on it. Save a penalty. Um, I thought that one was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know. I think Dario Mane, I, I might have spoken about it before, but he's been on jokes the entire tournament. He also foreshadowed a final between Senegal and Egypt and foreshadowed him beating his uh, his man's Mo Salah. So uh, he's been on jokes, but that moment there, I agree with you, it was pretty funny to see as Mo Salah is doing anything to get an advantage against his teammate, who he's probably seen take a million penalty kicks, whether it be in practice or in real game situations. And it worked. Gabal, I mean, Mane with an absolute rocket. So I can only give credit to the goalkeeper, uh, Gabal, because that was an absolute hell of a save. Put a hand to it, no feet, no nothing, straight hand to it. Saves it and uh, goes out for a corner. And we got a match. And I was thinking after that point, uh, aside from all the commercials that being sports was dropping, criminals. Disrespectful. During the middle of the game. Never seen some shit like that in my life. I wish to never see that again in my life. Absolutely. Criminals. Um, but back to the, this topic at hand. Um, when Senegal missed that penalty, I'm thinking this is going to go the 120. We're going back to penalties, and it, I think it'll be advantage Egypt. Not saying that they, I thought that they'd win, but I just didn't see. I felt like against Egypt, you have to take your chances because the goalkeeping, as we've seen, unbelievable. And um, they don't score many goals, so that's why they go to extra time. <laughs> um, so that's what I thought was going to happen. And from that point on, it. I mean – from the third moment on, it was Senegal, 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 Senegal. Facts. Uh, and Egypt going for the rare counterattack, and which pretty much amounts to nothing. There was a point where I joked to Ronnie saying, what color is Edouard Mendy wearing? <laughs> I didn't know. So, I mean, it, Senegal definitely uh, deserved the goal, at least in the first half. There would be none, however. No. Second half would be more of the same, with some slight chances and more commercial breaks. It was a half hour of extra time. And there we go. And that was... You could see that the players were pretty much, um, I guess, tired, for lack of better words. But Senegal continued to attack and played really good football. Uh, Egypt had their chance as well, to which Edward Mendy made some big saves, especially that one in extra time, the one he just, like, wow. set up like a volleyball. Yeah. Like, they had really good saves. And imagine if one of those chances would have gone and we were talking about something different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just another testament to how the good goalkeepers were actually good and can be considered good are the ones who don't have too much work to do and when they're called upon can make 
that was a you know a very reflexive save. And so Edward Mendy definitely continuing to do that, keeping the lines of Taranga in the match. Uh, and as you mentioned, 30 more minutes of extra time, and there still were no goals. Not a damn thing. So we would go to penalties. Um, and up to this point, a stat that jumped out to me in the rare commentating that we heard <laughs> on garbage has been sports um, was that Egypt up to this point were perfect in penalties, eight for eight. Um, so I, I, it was hard not to believe that it was advantage Egypt, especially with the goalkeeping that they, that they had. But Senegal don't have no slouch themselves in their goal with Edouard Mendy. And as uh, Kaido Koulibaly, Senegalese captain, takes steps up to take the first penalty. Uh, Abu Kabal goes the right way, but it was a rocket. And Senegal goes up one nothing, and I'm thinking anything can happen at that point. Um, but anything can happen. Sure enough, Egypt would go nine for nine before missing their second penalty, which would give the advantage to Senegal. Uh, Senegal would then keep Egypt in the match by missing the next one, and from there we had a poof. It was a uh, it was a uh, sweaty palms and all that you could tell out there in uh, in in. Yaounde, right? Yeah, um, ultimately, to cut it short, Senegal, Egypt misses a second penalty or, or one rather that Mendy saves. And for the final spot kick, up steps Sadio Mane, the man who's been making jokes all tournament. <laughs> but before we get to that, um, they, they did a quick cutaway to Mo Salah. And the way he just had his face in his um in his shirt, like he knew Mane was gonna make this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he knew, oh shit, my, my Afcon, I'm not gonna win the Afcon. It's gonna be my man who's gonna do it to me. And I'm gonna have to see him every day in training with that with the toothy ass grin he's got, curly <laughs> 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 whites. And yeah, I think even the way Sadio Mane stepped up to take it, he was looking at Abu Gabal, the keeper. Of Egypt dead in the face, like bro, you stopped me once. I'm going exactly the same way I went last time. Your man's ain't here to save you. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, of course, Senegal's number 10 steps up, and Abu Ghabal goes the right way again, but an absolute rocket uh, by Sadio Mane. And Mo Salah wouldn't even get a chance to take his fifth spot kick. And Senegal would win AFCON 2021 2, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, their first ever title. Yeah, man. The first ever African Cup of Nations title. And they were the pre-tournament favorites. To start off the tournament, they didn't they didn't play like it. But come the knockout stage, they were scoring goals left and right. They proved that they were the deserving winners of AFCON. And I just want to give big ups to uh, the Senegalese manager, Aliou Cisse. Oh, yes. Um, former player, obviously, but... Man, gotta be the winningest coach with dreadlocks and foot and footy. I don't know. I mean, very, very swaggy with his long hair. My man's wore a sweatsuit to the final. He said, I'm good off that. Suit. The drip, yeah, should have gotten Senegal the title all, on his own, absolutely. And you know, he he just you could see aside from the passion of you know, on both sides of what this meant. And obviously, this is why things like this should be covered, of course, because it's a, a tournament, an international tournament, which means a lot. and Obviously, that was reflected. But yeah, big up to Cisse, Senegalese manager. And I mean, it was a lot of emotions there, I think. That was another thing that, st that stood out to me. Um, notably, obviously, Mo Salah looked devastated. 
we love the camaraderie of Saudi Mane running up to him real quick. And they had a long conversation. I'd love to know what they said to each other. Um, but Salah looked devastated. Saudi Mane was trying not to smile with that big ass. Big ass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then, of course, again, most notably, the uh, Egyptian goalkeeper, uh, Abu Gabal, who was in tears from the jump. Man. It was, it was uh, harsh to see. Uh, even harsher to see him win the man of the match award and then get a microphone shoved right in his face as he's crying. That was just different. And then the first question the man's ask is, how do you feel about winning the man of the match? Like, bro. Fam, it's the final that I lost. I don't care if I had a good goalkeeping performance. I lost the final. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's a terrible goal. It, like, it, it pained me to see him forced to smile while he's crying. Yeah. Receiving that end of the match award, which he probably doesn't even care for, because he lost the final. Can't stress that enough. But yeah. Ugh. Also, the man of the match trophy was not that pretty. Honestly, it looked kind of. I don't know. It looked a little uh, <laughs> like it was made that morning type shit. But uh, n- nonetheless, uh, we had we predicted Senegal to win the finals. You reverse course last minute. I absolutely jumped the ship. I I bought into the hype. The hype machine that was Cameroon got me. And um, they did it. They pulled it off. They got their first one. Um, I guess thoughts on Egypt's tournament as a whole? Any spots for them? I mean, I don't think I saw them. I don't think I picked them going, going to the finals. I think they'll be going to the final either. Because they pretty much got past every single game off the skin of their teeth. If they had any one standout match of note, it was probably against Morocco in the quarterfinal. Yeah, Other than that, they didn't really surprise me. Yeah, and funny enough, the match against Morocco was probably one of the only knockout matches where they scored uh, before, um, you know, they had to go to penalties, I remember. But even then they scored, I think, pretty much an extra time <laughs> with um, Trezeguet giving them a goal in the 100th minute, I believe. But, yeah, like, it's an Egypt team that really didn't strike me as a team that wouldn't make it this far. So the fact that they did, again, just scraping by just shows, you know, how much grip that team has, but I will say this. Um, this is just the first of three games between these two teams we're seeing within the next month or so. Ooh-wee. They play each other again in World Cup qualifiers in March. If they play anything like they did throw AFCON, they're not making Qatar. Yeah, Egypt's going to have to get it together. Um, I think a positive note is that somehow, I mean, they look defensively solid, but most of that seems to be the goalkeeper making heroic save after heroic save. Uh, because they were getting pressed by Senegal. And for the most part, in the first half, at least, the, the match was played in their final third. Um, but they still don't let teams score on them. I'm not sure how many goals they conceded the entire tournament, but it couldn't have been much. Um, because just based off of their knockout rounds, none against Ivory Coast, none against Morocco. And I think they played... Uh, they played um, Cameroon. Cameroon as well, and no goals scored against them. So I don't think they conceded in the... Same thing with Senegal. They conceded two goals this whole tournament. There one in the group stage, the loss to Nigeria, and then one to Morocco. There you go. So um, I think that's something they, they can walk away, you know, excited about because if you've got a good defense there and you have some players like a Trezeguet or a Mohamed Salah that can get goals and pull out heroic, just like, you know, Abu Ghabal was performing heroic saves. Uh, Salah, somebody, as we all know, can make heroic, you know, situations from nothing so i think that's a positive that they can take away but i do agree with you if they play senegal again and it's that it's senegal pressing them for the better part of 90 minutes it's not going to end well as they're eventually going to find the back of the net so those world cup qualifiers definitely something to look forward to 
it's really all Egypt has to look forward to at this point because Senegal, if push come to shove, they won the AFCON for the first time in their history. And I said this when, like, the, Af- the African World Cup qualifier draw was made. Whoever wins the AFCON has a good shot at making the World Cup. Yeah. Senegal has a good shot against at making the World Cup. And like I said, against this Egypt, they're definitely doing so. Yeah. I think uh, definitely something to watch. But um, in regards to AFCON, obviously, we we did this with the Euro, and we've had this conversation before. Obviously, we can go through who was named player of the tournament, goalkeeper of the tournament, and top scorer. Vincent Abubakar, spoiler alert. Um, Sadio Mane for best player, and Edouard Mendy, the best goalkeeper. Right. So all three of them who were in the building, Vincent Abubakar, deep in the stands, in the cut, hat on, mask all the way, covering his eyes. He did not care to be there except to pick up that trophy. Thanks. He looked hurt and sad. But he had, but he looked happy picking up the trophy and making just with side of money and stuff. Yeah, and I think the camaraderie between that, I'm not sure if that's just like um I won't spe- make it specific to Africa, but I think Sadio Mane, he just seems like a fun guy to be around. He, he made everything lighthearted. I'm not sure if he would have felt that way if had he lost the match, but he, clearly when they won, he was in high spirits and everybody around him felt that. Um, but uh, that being said, yes, those three were given those honors. Um, obviously, we picked Sebastian Iger to be top scorer. Uh, he has to multiply that times four <laughs> to match my man's uh, Vincent Abubakar. But I guess the well, one, I guess any standout players of the tournament, Gabal, yes, um, um, Abubakar and Togo Kambi, none of us had them even one two when it came to top scorers. Um, we, we knew Sadio Mane. I, I did. I just want to throw out, I did have the field. So <laughs> ideally, that means I was pretty good on choosing those two. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Man, you can go back. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Yo, Spence said the field. I almost forgot about that. He did say the field. No specificities. Um... I mean, I guess we could shout that out. Air horns if you want. There you go. I mean, Maybe a half air horn? Yeah, there you go. The yeah, I'll take a full air horn. Full air horn. I'll take it. Celebrate <laughs> <laughs> <great> me. <laughs> uh, the house always wins. Spence is like the casino. The house always wins at the end of the day. But, yeah, I mean, for me, um, Vincent Abubakar definitely, like you said, none of us picked him. Uh, my bad, Spence. Uh, we didn't pick him to be top scorer. And he far and away, he's he scored damn near a brace every match. So, um, and then Nabi Keita, uh, uh, for Guinea, I think he was he really showed a lot more than he has at Liverpool, be it because of injury or however the system goes. But he took Guinea by the bootstraps and really was. I mean, I'm not sure how many man of the match awards he's got, and I'm sure it's more than one or two. Um, Spence might know that off the top of his head just for the fact that he's a Liverpool fan, but he's also the data desk. But, um, Nabi Keita to me stood out as one of the better players of the tournament. Obviously, they couldn't get past Gambia, the Scorpions, who were, in my opinion, the. I want to say they were the best story. I was riding for Sierra Leone, but we know how that ended, unfortunately, um, in the group stage. Same with Ghana. And so I think Gambia, be, being that it was their first ever AFCON, and for them to make it out the knockouts and win in the first round of their knockout right. against Guinea, that was an incredible story to see. Obviously, that they, their road will end in the next match um, to Burkina Faso. Oh. Yeah, I think Burkina Faso beat Gambia, right? 
Of course. I think you're right. Yeah, Cameroon beat Gambia in the quarterfinal. So, yeah, I mean, their run would end against, you know, Cameroon. Of course, the Akambi or Vincent Abubakar combo, but that was like. Well, that was the um, day. That was the. Akambi day. Yeah, was, yeah, that was the Akambi day. Um, but, yeah, I think as far as uh, notable moments and stories go, uh, that was one that stood out to me. I think it was to Gambia. A hell, of, hell of a way to start your, you know, your, your first ever tournament. Great debut. Um, as Spencer That's at the right. data desk yep, says, uh, Nabi Keita with two Man of the Match awards and the match he didn't play, it was actually that knockout against uh, Gambia. And you saw that ended up with Gambia moving forward. So, yeah, he, he meant a lot to the team. And clearly, you know, he showed that through the tournament. Uh, so big up to Nabi Keita there. Um, I guess anything else we want to say about this tournament? Uh, I guess Can I talk about the final, the, the trophy presentation? Oh my god! Why did they have, um, like after everyone gets their medals, why did they have Kaidu Kulibali go up to the um, presidential box, shake hands to the president of Cameroon, go back down, and then lift the trophy? It, the president of Cameroon could have just went down there with the rest of the lot. Yeah. Have your security <laughs> detail there. Like those mad work for what? Or have everyone go up the stairs and you know greet you and then give the trophy? That made no sense to me. Yeah, it, and it looked like it was just put together at that very second. That, that's very true. Like somebody was like, "Yo, you know what we said? Sick." You went up there to the Cameroonian president and said it was good. I cool about it. Like I don't care, man. I just won the tournament. I'll do whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it did look a little funky, um, but ultimately, the yeah it ended up going back down. But man. Nothing was overshadowed, I feel like, by, or I think everything was overshadowed by the, uh, just the broadcasting of this. And you can't say enough about it. You gave it BS of the Week last week. This, to me, is a front runner for BS of the Year. I would agree. You can't do this to a cup final. Imagine ESPN did this for the Euros. Oh, the disrespect. The outrage. The outrage. Like, it, it's the final. And, and Leo Banucci is going to feed Chiesa a, uh, uh, through balls on the counterattack, and the shit goes into commercial off the top. <laughs> like, what is this shit? You know, and, and then the the length of which the commercial lasted is what killed me. Because like, they would have a commercial uh, at a dead ball, and then a substitution would happen, and a sequence of play would happen, and then we'd come back. And I'm like, there was one where like there was a corner kick after it. Like, yo, fam, what? I have nothing against Western Colorado University, but I did not need to see your commercial during. The middle of the first half or the second half of the AFCON final. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. And they just look like they, you know, put this together, at, you know, in the most scrappy way to the point where the color commentator felt like it was just one of the old head Latin guys in the office. And they're like, yo, you want to take the final today? He's like, see, puppy. <laughs> it felt like it. It felt like it. He would say all type of shit that I was killing. Mohammed Salah. <laughs> I was just like, bro, damn. It just, it was, it, it was uh, an absolute letdown. And we can't say this enough. Being sports, criminals. Criminals. As a whole, AFCON was a very good tournament. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, my mom thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, big sidebar: she, she, she really likes Sadio Mane, and not for his on the field stuff, but for his philanthropy. Love that. 
And you got to love the pearly whites too. What a smile. <laughs> Amen. The hairline ain't doing it, but the teeth. <laughs> it's there, my boy. But what, what, what is it that you say about um, his hairline aerodynamic? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just the way the wind kind of just, it's like an F1 car. You know, so <laughs> he sets him up for glory. You know, he saw that in the way he struck that penalty. That shit was a laser. Bing! So we don't have to wait long for the next AFCON. That's next summer in the Ivory Coast. And next summer as in 2023? Okay. Summertime, AFCON is going to be crazy. Hot as hell, probably. We had that in 2019. It was in the summer in Egypt. So... That's equator right there. <laughs> Water breaks. So we're going to see some interesting AFCON next year, I hope. Yeah, and Sebastian Ayer better set the fuck up. Oh man, he's uh, and funny enough, we saw him today score for Ajax day of recording on Sunday. I'm like, where was that energy last week? So you know, um, absolutely. But uh, whatever happens, uh, a summer tournament, summer Afcon, they better keep that ref who was officiating the Mali Tunisia game way the fuck away from the tournament because he might get heat stroke. <laughs> he might get some more heat stroke in that type of weather, man. So. Also, another huge moment, notable moment that we, I guess you'll never forget. That shit was hilarious and will continue to be hilarious. My man's uh, stopped the match early and then early. <laughs> so, but I didn't hear that. That was the AFCON uh, 2022 1. Getting big up to Senegal. Um, One final air for um, Senegal? Yeah, air horns for Senegal, man. Spencer loses no matter what because he would have gone Egypt if they won. Ben, does that Liverpool connect? Spencer had a wonderful day, I can tell. Go ahead. The world will never know. So I'm happy Senegal won, and a win is a win is a win. The world does know, because you said on the last pod, whoever scores more goals. And who did today? Senegal. <laughs> hey, listen, man. And the logic is airtight. <laughs> so you were talking about hot weather in... Let's talk about cold weather in Minnesota. Wow. Listen, your transitions, when we're doing virtual, excellent. In person, <laughs> give, me, give me a, give me that. What? <laughs> that was excellent. Carry on, carry on, good sir. Um, we saw World Cup qualifiers, and quickly to go through South America, no one qualified. Ecuador could have qualified, but I think they drew their last match, so they couldn't. Qualify, they'll have to wait until the next week to do so. Out in Asia, South Korea qualified, joining Iran, and then everyone else in Asia would qualify in March. And over in CONCACAF, um, we spoke about Canada versus the U.S. because that was last Sunday. Um, since then, the U.S. decided to play their World Cup qualifier against Honduras in Minnesota specifically the Allianz Field in St. Paul, and... Cruel and unusual punishment, that is. It finished 3 nothing USA in favor of Honduras. And, of course, no one is talking about the match itself. They're just talking about the conditions the USA put Honduras in. <laughs> Not even just them, but their own players in, and the fans in. We spoke about this a bit last time. It, when you mention that players have hypothermia at halftime, it, it, it's a different story. Bro, it, and what they're saying, the coldest World Cup qualifier uh, on record in history? Those are stats that shouldn't be tracked. 
Yeah, exactly. And just as somebody who's lived in Minnesota for 20 plus years, you don't get used to those winters. One, <clears throat> one, you don't get used to those winters. And two, fam, Minnesota in January, you might as well play in Antarctica, Brian Golati. <laughs> like, ridiculous. And to put the uh, Honduran players and as well as the US MNT players, who we saw on the internet. A couple of days after talking about, yeah, that was great. Never again, though. <laughs> or, you know, the coldest day of my life. My hands are still frozen. Things of that nature. Tim Wes said, um, word to when he says word to everything I love, that's how you know it's it's real. Word to everything I love. I'm retiring next time we have to play mother like this. Yo, factos. Uh, St. Paul on a cold January evening. Not even during the daytime. In the evening. It's too cold to snow, as they say. <laughs> How you get too cold to snow? <laughs> the pitch looks terrible, mm. but shouts to the, the grounds people for you know trying to get the field in shape in January in Minnesota. Um, what I don't get is the people defending this bullshit. People are like, "Oh, Bolivia play at altitude. Honduras they play ninety degree heat. They don't cut the grass." Bolivia as a country is at altitude. So unless you just chop altitude somehow, <laughs> there's no choice but to play at altitude. Yeah, and in regards to weather, as you said, the USA is a pretty big country and they're they're But you've been picking picking back off of that, because they like Honduras plays a nine degree heat. You can't change the weather in Honduras. Yeah, fam. The weather in Honduras in January is gonna be the same weather you get in August, September, March, whenever. Right. And that being said. Uh, according to the U.S., what we've heard is that their excuse was that it uh, was uh, in regards to distance. It was just like the closer closer trip or something like that. I got the quote right here for you. Um, Greg Berhalter, you're asking the question insinuating that we're the only ones playing in these type of conditions. Canada scheduled the game in Hamilton, and it was in the teens. So for us, again, we're trying to minimize travel in this window and trying to keep the weather somewhat consistent. And that was our focus. And then third thing is we want to win our home games. Um, Man said minimize travel. Uh, well, first things, I mean, to that, Mr. Berhalter, Canada is as north as it gets. Even southern Canada, it gets pretty cold no matter what in this time of year. You can't avoid that. In the U.S., there are spots that are warm for the most part year-round, one. Two, in regards to minimizing travel, they played that qualifier in Columbus a couple of days before the one against Honduras and St. Paul. And last time I checked, Columbus and Nashville are probably much closer to each other than Columbus and St. Paul. Hell, I mean, the trip down to Florida might be just around the same distance as going to Minnesota, roughly. He referred to the weather as a cold spell. <laughs> and that ain't no spell. <laughs> it's February in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, the worst time of the year. What is a cold spell about that? And like people are like, oh, why do why the hunters wear layers? <laughs> yeah, the hate is crazy. Again, Canada, they have no choice but to play in the cold. And then people are like, but you could have played indoors in Vancouver, Montreal. Right. And and ultimately, we know what this was. And for the folks that are arguing, it, it in my opinion, are it's pointless. United States felt like they had an advantage playing colder weather against teams that aren't used to that climate. And they took that and they're gonna make excuses and run around it as much as they can. And that is what it, I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. 
I, I, I'm still sticking to what I said last week. They, this is a gamesmanship. It's more so they wanted to replicate what Canada did against Mexico. By the way, Canada versus Mexico and Canada versus U.S. in Edmonton and Hamilton weren't as cold as it was in St. Paul. Minus two. Don't get it twisted, man. It's the North Star State for a reason. It gets cold and it stays cold, especially in January and February, the worst times of the year to be there. So this like, is also None of this makes sense at all. It's Honduras. If you can't beat Honduras in a warm place like Houston, Texas, Orlando, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, and you got to take them to St. Paul, Minnesota to beat them, that says a lot about you than it does them. I'm saying. And you don't even have to make go to the extreme weather. Nashville is right there. I'm sure it was definitely much warmer than it was. And not even that much warmer, but still playable. Right. So this was strategic, I think, and that's the only way I think it makes sense. The U.S. is going to do this. They're going to play to their advantage as best they can. And like you said, and you you being from Honduras and being a, you know uh, a passionate. I think has nothing topic. about this has nothing to do with me being Honduran, by the way. Right. This is just stupid assness from the U.S. Right, but I mean, just in regards to you being a passionate fan of Honduras and saying that that they shouldn't need to go to these oh, extremes in right. order to beat Honduras. And instead, they're not taking any chances. I mean, it, it says a lot about the USMNT and kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about Canada kind of coming in and taking the reins as the, you know, potentially the best team from the US and Mexico. When they're playing these little games, it doesn't make them look very confident. It doesn't make them look like a team that takes care of business, if that makes sense. No, it does. And um, I forgot who pointed this out on, um, I think it was on ESPN. Also, like right before the match ended, Greg Berhalter was out here taking selfies with people during the match. <laughs> you ever taking a cold selfie? <laughs> Shit. Like freaking people were criticizing that and probably for good reason, like yo fam. You're winning three nothing. That's that's not an excuse for you to just take pictures of random people. And then he said something about oh they were freezing their butts off. Just wanna do that for them. And I, yeah, it was definitely Ace I remember. And the guy on Ace was like, I forget who it was. Whose fault is it that they're freezing their ass off watching the team? There you go. These yeah. are the questions. It's your fucking fault. You picked the game in Minnesota. Yes, sir. <laughs> Wait, the coach picks the location of the games, not like the federation? He has to say. So, like, it, it's groupthink. So, the federation, they'll, like, present places to play. Berhalter says, oh, where he wants to play. The whole minimizing travel shit is a whole lot of cap. Um, I'm saying, like, if your players don't even want to play there, like, why are you doing that to them? Um, Obviously because you would assume that Honduran players are not going to be as used to dealing with cold weather climate. And this happens in – this disadvantage happens in all different types of sports. Um, but Two more things before I wrap this up. Remind. Um, they had a heating break. How do you even do that? I don't know, but kind of had a snuggie. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really funny. Heating break? They were giving hot chocolates and stuff? Hot chocolates, blankets and stuff. That is bad funny, son. I did not know you could do that. Will there be any repercussions from this? No, I don't think so, because if there are... Not in terms of the USA qualifying, rather a sanction for, yo, why are you doing this shit? Right. I don't think so. I don't think there can be because I think 
it's not easy to definitively prove this one. And two, if they're sanctioned for that, then that'll open the door for so many things. Um, and it would just be hard to kind of lay down a law in that regard because we talked about Canada being cold for the most part all over Canada and they can't really control things of that nature. Um, you know, the high altitude stuff, like it would open a can of worms that I don't think nobody wants to get into. So I don't see the U.S. getting sanctioned or fined or dealt with in any way. I don't think I'm going to see any repercussions personally. What would have been funny, though, would Talk be if Honduras actually won that game. That would have been great. If Honduras won the fucking game or even drawn it, the, the amount of pushback there would have been for playing the game in the cold, like, yo, fam, what the fuck are we doing playing in Minnesota? The same people who were like, oh, we're playing in Minnesota for the home field advantage would be the same people complaining, yo, we should have never played here to begin with. <laughs> so, I mean. I was low-key rooting for that, for that reason. Now, um, they're playing the again. I can call them bottom feeders on Honduran. They're playing the Honduran national team. They're bottom feeders. Their last place. All the Honduran teams I've ever seen. This is by far the worst. Um, you seat. didn't even take them in Minnesota. You could have taken them to any of the U.S. and still gotten the result. Yeah, Colorado. Come on, man. Like they're not that far. But anyways, not in there. That was for the most part the Concacaf qualifiers, the big stories. At least anything else you want to point out? Canada are a point away from qualifying. And they're about to lock it down. Um, the next match for the USA is at Mexico. Estadio Azteca, always a big match for the US. But the US, despite all the bullshit that they've been going through in qualifiers and struggling, um, the last year has shown us that they have Mexico's number. Or does Mexico have its own number for some reason? Because they play the US and they get cooked. And that's this game is going to be nasty. USA, Mexico, because both USA... They don't really convince me. Mexico have been rubbish. They needed uh, Raul Jimenez's penalty to beat Panama. Um, it's not going to be the prettiest match. Canada are through the World Cup. I think they play Costa Rica away. So, yeah, hoping for the best. Like I said, Canada, they're going to qualify. It's a matter of when. And they should do it the first window in, uh, in March. I agree. I agree with that. Um... Shall we move on to last bit of internationals? Um, so Colombia now absolutely struggling. This the last couple rounds of qualifiers are everything, as Uruguay now sits in fourth place, jumping from as far as I believe seventh uh, on twenty two. Colombia is now down in seventh on seventeen. So if Uruguay wins their next quali match in qualifying rounds coming up in March, Colombia has got some explaining to do, um, and to make things even worse. Uruguay plays Peru, which is competition, but Colombia will go ahead and play Libya. And in, in the final round, Colombia's got Venezuela, while Chile's got Uruguay. So it's still some big matches left to play, but Uruguay on the brink of being able to take that spot off Colombia's hands. And wow, what a turnaround. Yeah, um, it literally had Maria Isabel in tears. Damn. Like literally, if you saw her story, she was she she had a little thug tear. Hey, not the thug tear. Hey, listen, it happens to all of us sometimes. Columbia had a cry in the club. Listen, man, I've been there as a Spurs fan on numerous occasions. Maybe as early as last week. After <laughs> Luis Diaz assigned to Liverpool, but I mean, we'll get to transfers at some point. We'll uh -oh. get to one final acknowledgement of international footy. And there goes Spence with the with the rubbing rubbing salt in the wound. Thanks, fam. Oh, that was I thought it was something else out your window. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I thought it was like, uh, like, oh no, 
um, something outside of course. No, that was John Hamilton. John Hamilton. Is that the guy who owns FSG? What kind of name is that? Or is it John Henry? I think it's John Henry. John Henry. John <laughs> Hamilton. What kind of 1700s name is that, G? <laughs> Come on. It's Bostonian. You feel me? But yeah, Boston. That was John Henry laughing outside my window along with Spencer. So. Uh, nah, it's all good. But yeah, look, I mean, we can get to transfers. Just quick notables. I guess we don't need to name all the wild things. But... Oh, transfers? I just want to say China beat Korea. Of course, with the Women's Asian Cup, which ended today as well. Um, with all due yeah. respect, I wasn't waking up at number six to watch it, but I did catch the highlights. Um, okay, to be fair, I don't care. <laughs> no, I care. In the most respectful way. I care. That was China's ninth Women's Asian Cup. Damn. Shit, love China. So much fun. That's what I'm saying. Give it to Korea. And this, this was probably the best Korean team to do it. Have you been winning recent years? Because I know Japan wasn't coming to force at some point. They won. Damn. They actually won the two prior ones before this one. Okay, that makes sense because I'm, and in the early mid-teens, they were, 2010s, they were a pretty dominant side, obviously. And what I don't understand is that freaking Australia were the team that beat Indonesia 18 nothing, And they got... Taking up paint in the knockout stage by South Korea is more nothing. So then 18 nothing ain't mean, ain't mean a damn thing. <laughs> that sounds like. Oh, we spoke about the teams who qualified for the Women's World Cup. Um, Vietnam also joins them. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, um, so like what they did, three best teams that were in like the quarterfinal, uh, in the semifinals, they like a little round robin. And the team to come out on top was Vietnam. Um, six points from two games. They beat Thailand, and today they beat Chinese Taipei. Wow, happy for Vietnam. Big up for them. And then top scorer was Sam Kerr. Uh, pulling off an event of Abubakar, watching the competition. I'm she finished with seven. I'm assuming uh, she was on the team that scored 18 goals in a match. I wonder how many she scored in that and how many that added to her tally. I got you right now. She scored one, two, three, five. <laughs> five against Indonesia. She scored one against Philippines and one against Thailand. Goodness gracious. But uh... Transfers. So I wanted to do something real quick. I have on my laptop some notable transfers that happened this January transfer window. I want to give you one minute to run off as many transfers as you can. That have happened? That have happened in this window. Okay. Um, Let's get it. Let me get my clocks. Give the music. Uh, and all I ask is you tell me the player, the club they went from, and to. Okay. You have. Lo- do loans count? Yeah, loans count. Okay. If you want to specify with a loan, go ahead. You have one minute. Go. Okay, so we got off the rip. I'm going to go Chris Wood, Burnley to Newcastle. Uh, Kieran Trippier, Atletico Madrid to Newcastle. Bruno Gimmerich from Lyon, how did that happen? To Newcastle. Another one that was interesting, it was still relegation size. Wolf Beghorst from goddamn Wolfsburg to Burnley. What? I don't understand how that happened. Okay, then if we're gonna continue on there, we got at Spurs, my home club. Missed out on a lot, but got some as well. Uh, two Juventus players, Benton Court, Kulisevsky, two Spurs. And then we've got rid of Tangi Ndombele to Lyon from Spurs. Dele Alli to Everton from Spurs. We've got uh, Giovanni Lo Celso to Villarreal from Spurs. 
Uh, Aubameyang from Arsenal to Barcelona. What the hell happened there? Adama Traore from Wolves to Barcelona. What happened there? Um, let's see. Liverpool gets Luis Diaz from Porto. Uh, they also get some kid uh, uh, that's English but also Portuguese. I don't understand. From, no, no, no. Uh, that one's not done yet. Oh, my bad. Let's <laughs> hope it stays And bad. that is your time to play. Your reference is um, Carvalho. Okay, Carvalho. Yeah. Really he's like homegrown, but I think he's Portuguese. That broke down on transfer day. Oh, wait, brother, it didn't happen? It didn't. Uh, allegedly, it's almost done. It's just trying to figure out the price for him. I see. If Liverpool wait, they can do a tribunal. And essentially, the same way they got Harvey Elliott, who's right. like are you, are a bona fide star. Okay, quick or question. Or could be a bona fide star. Okay, and quick question. They only pay like a million for him. Okay, I got a quick question. Uh, are you on the tribunal? Am I on the tribunal? No. <laughs> I have nothing to do with the tribunal. I just had to ask. Okay. So other than that last one, you heard of some pretty interesting transfers. You forgot the big one. What was that? You forgot Ronnie's big one. What was my big one? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Yes, I was too He scored today. Did he score? He scored today. That's the honor. Yeah, win. I just want to put this on record, Spence, and I know you hear me. Uh, yeah, we basically paid for Vlahovic. <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, and uh, Spencer, you're also welcome for Luis Diaz. We push the price down for you. I mean, you guys should be thanking me today. I'm yeah, honest with you. Good luck. Because <laughs> Daniel Levy pushed that price way down. I think maybe it was like three weeks ago. They were like, Luis Diaz, like 90 million or like some absurd number. And then Daniel Levy was like, no, no, no. And then Liverpool like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> That's just how the cookie crumbles, my friend. Ridiculous. Daniel Levy pushes down from 90 to 60, and then says 60 is too much. Liverpool has a shark tank and says, I'll take that deal. <laughs> take that. So, I found it crazy. I saw someone said that Luis Diaz is Liverpool's first ever Colombian. Interesting. I was about to say Lucas Leiva, but he's Brazilian. Wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's Brazilian. Look at that. They had an Uruguayan before they had a Colombian. That's nuts. That is really interesting to think about. But wow, I mean, what a, what a hell of a Colombian to get. I mean, the, the dominant player. I just didn't think he was going to leave Porto before Spurs started were in you know contact with him, and I was like, "Wait, what? When? How? <laughs> how did this happen?" And sure enough, he goes to Liverpool to bolster an attack that is already one of the deadliest in the world. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, but you that, mentioned Woodbeckhorst. Yes, Woodbeckhorst. That was going to be my BS of the week, but I'll mention it now since we're talking transfers. Why? You go from Wolfsburg is not the best team this year. They crashed and burned up the Champions League. It's still a better situation than Burnley. It absolutely is. Uh, I, I'm not understanding how this happened. I can't say money. I, I, don't, I don't think Burnley are tripling his wages. Um, like uh, like another player I'll get to in a second. But, yeah, he literally saw a sinking ship and jumped to a, a ship that's basically already sunk. Um, so, I mean, big up to Vivegoras. Maybe he wanted to enter the Premier League. The why for me is how did teams – much better than uh, Burnley, who probably have much more money than Burnley, miss out on a guy that they needed. Uh, I'll name two to start. Arsenal needed a striker, it seems, with a bombing exiting, and now they're left with two strikers in Lacazette and Nketi at the moment. Um, they could have used someone like Vuitveghorst. Spurs, who haven't given Harry Kane a proper backup ever, basically, uh, could have used Vuitveghorst instead of... And Vuitveghorst was a rumor over the summer. Right. So... But in that's that um, Chris Woodman. You go? I can't believe Chris Woodmoney steered <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what is going on here? 
So uh, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, plenty of teams could have used him, um, you know. And I mean, even I could see even Chelsea taking him as a backup uh, for Lukaku, who hasn't been performing as well as we thought after coming off of injury. Obviously, you're, you'd assume he'd get back to form at some point. But Weghorst, uh, I mean, and I love saying his name, as you can tell, I've said it 17 times, um, would have been a good backup, I think, for any team. Uh, Everton could have used him, but the list goes on. And somehow he lands at Burnley, who may go down, um, and what a transfer it was. But to me, the biggest transfer, I think, uh, I think Luis Diaz to Liverpool is huge. It, it adds so much depth to that attack which is uh it's scary um but the most notable and one that i was like whoa uh bruno gimmerish the olympic leon leonese midfielder uh to newcastle that i think is the start of newcastle saying we've arrived we're we're dropping the bag and we're going for players that everybody wants that was a midfielder that was linked with arsenal with spurs um and other clubs even in france um aside from the premier league and Newcastle said, fuck that. We're tripling your wages. What's it going to be? And money talked. Uh, you know, Big Bank took a little bank. And, yeah, I, I think it's important because Newcastle, like I said, this is their moment where they're letting folks know, yeah, you can try to jerk us around for the price, as Man Manchester United apparently did for Jesse Lingard, saying that they wanted $12 million if he if they, if they stay up from relegation, uh, if they get Jesse Lingard. Um, but Newcastle saying, yeah, you can go ahead and jerk us around. But uh, we've arrived. We paying players triple the wages. Who wants who wants to come to Newcastle? It's like death row records. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, so that was the big one for me. Um, Dusan Vlahovic, I think, is is good for for uh, uh, Juventus and this Dybala news of him not signing his contract. I'm saying he could have left in January. He's here for now. I think that's a positive for you, right? Yeah. Uh... It would have been so much better if it were the three of Vlahovic, Dybala, and Chiesa, but Chiesa is obviously hurt right now. Yeah, there was actually, a, not to cut you off, but for some positivity, there was a video I saw of Chiesa on crutches. My man is hurt. And he he walks up to Vlahovic and they go ahead and hug it out. He's like, oh, what's up, man? I used to play Fiorentina. Me too. <laughs> Look at that. Because so, uh, for two teams that have so much beef with each other, they do a lot of business with each other. Yeah, I think uh, money talks and Ultimately, and I feel like, you know, Juventus is that club, especially, and Vlavic is an exception, but for talent, especially Italian talent, I feel like they like to go to Juventus rather than elsewhere. But they did go elsewhere um, in the transfer window, and they got Dennis Zakaria from Mönchengladbach on a steal. For five million? That's a steal. How do you, yo, you know what? Whatever tribunal was investigating Juventus monetary practices, you guys are doing a good job. Because how did they do that? How did you, how was he worth less than Benton Court? Come on, fam. Like, the only guess I would assume is that his time at Gladbach was running up anyway. So that's why they got him on the cheap. But even, man, that's a steal. Because it's ridiculous. He's a top notch defensive mid. I'm saying uh, Spurs were able to just offload Christian Eriksen in January, or not, we well, yeah, in January, a couple of years back to Inter Milan for 24 million, even though his contract was ending in six months. Five million is an absolute steal. And I mean, since we're in person, I'll, I will shake your hand. <laughs> so there you have it. I feel like you bumped into this. I'm sorry if you did. Yeah, I did, but off anything for the pod, right? So um, um, as far as transfers go, that was that was it for me. And I think else? they won the transfer window. If I think team had the best window, it would have been Juventus. And I'm not even saying that because I'm a fan. Mm. I think they. Those signings were huge, 
and those signings could get you into the top four. Yeah. Um, when Champions League, I don't know. Maybe give it a year or two. But Juve wins the transfer window, if you ask me. Yeah, I think a uh, big window for Juventus. Uh, Liverpool, who I didn't think needed a window, went ahead and, and picked up a, an attacker, which wasn't big for them. Uh, I think it's, for me, it's a tie between Newcastle and, and Juve um, for the fact that they, I think, pretty much secured their that their uh, position in the Premier League. I don't think they're going down anymore. And I think they could have even stayed up without adding too many pieces, but they added some guys and, you know... Um, do the first incomings keep them in the top four? Uh, yeah, yeah. Stick top four. And just like with Newcastle, I think they with signings. Now that they're solidified, I think Spurs, being that Arsenal, not only they did negative business getting rid of Aubameyang, who um, wasn't necessarily playing to be fair in the last couple of months, anyways. But that shortness and depth, if anything happens to their forwards, they'll they'll, they'll, they'll be down a man. Um, and then Man United doing negative transfers as well. We spoke about uh, allegedly bum-ass Mason Greenwood last week and uh, Anthony Martial, another one who's gone to Sevilla on loan. That was another one I forgot to mention in my one minute. Um, so that being said, I think it bolsters Spurs' chance for sure. And I'm even more confident than I was before. Uh, I think uh, from what I've seen from Bentecourt and Kulisevsky in just 15, 25 minutes in a match against Brighton over the weekend, uh, uh, they look like they can make an instant impact rather than just be you know, bench warmers or whatever the case may be, that they that they might have been at Juventus at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a positive for me. I think it absolutely bolsters our chances for top four. Any other transfer business you want to get into? I just want to run off some other notable transfers. Um, we mentioned um, Lorenzo Insigne to Toronto. That's happening in the summer. Um, you mentioned a lot of the Barcelona transfers. Ferran Torres was one of the first to happen this set transfer window. Um, Martial, you mentioned his move on loan from United to Sevilla. Um, Tecatito Corona went from Porto to Sevilla. I don't know how that happened. He forgot to mention Brian He went on loan. He went to Valencia. But I feel like it's a loan where he'll be right back into it at Spurs next season. Give him a little bit more time to mature, I guess. Um, Lucas Dinge to Aston Villa from Everton. That was a hot transfer. Um, you, Andre Onana went to, well, he's going to Inter Milan over the summer, but that is official. Um, Sergio Oliveira went to Roma from Porto, another loan. Um, one of the, one of the um, transfers that I did not see coming, um, Robin Golson from Atalanta to Inter. Bruh, I think uh, we, we mentioned it briefly before the pod, but how the hell did Inter Milan ultimately end up with the two fullbacks that showed up and showed out in the Euro last summer? They got Dumfries over the summer transfer window, and then they waited, 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 and then stole Gosens from whoever else was looking for him in the January transfer window. Now, I mean... Gosens are still hurt, by the way. Regardless, big pickup. Huge pickup still. Again, I didn't... I didn't think Inter were in the move. For, I didn't see his name mentioned at all. And then randomly I see Inter signs Gossens. Like, what? This is an absolute, another example for me not to trust teams when they say they're broke. I just don't believe you. Obviously, they sold Lukaku for $100 million. It was a lot of money. Um, but 
Teams been saying they're broke for years and been doing business on business. So I don't believe you guys anymore, man. I just don't. I never did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's just for further example of that. But yeah, but I wonder we are surprisingly quiet this transfer window. Yeah, I, I think, um, and maybe Spence can talk about this a little more, but I feel like Madrid are in a position now where they're going to focus on the summer. We know they're looking at Mbappe. They could be looking at basically every other superstar you can name on the top of your head. Not doing them um, dirt in five, ten years. And so, <laughs> so I think they're going to focus more on the summer, especially the big one, the big splash, which is killing Mbappe probably. Um, yeah, I think they're waiting on the summer, like you mentioned, for ideally the double from what Florentino keeps mentioning, Mr. Florentino Perez, that they can swoop Mbappe and Haaland and bring them to Madrid. So we'll see. I think Madrid plays PSG in a couple weeks. So once that ties over, ideally the Mbappe deal could be announced, but we'll see. Look at that. And, uh, I mean, amongst others, we've seen talks about uh, Antonio Rudiger, who's become probably one of the best center backs in the world, or in, at least in Europe to this point, also rumored to go uh, to Real Madrid at some point. So, yeah, I think they're focused on the January transfer window. It looks like Barcelona were a bit more active this time around. Although they couldn't get rid of Usman Dembele, they tried their hardest. Couldn't do it, though. Fam, for someone who is better than killing Mbappe, according to John Laporta, I'm sure you shit. Showed enough, and uh, um, apparently he's getting paid out the ass. <laughs> who knows? Refuse to take a pay cut. I don't care what Messi wants. I, I can't speak to the guy, but, you know, he's been having problems with people speaking for him. But, yeah, um, I think I'm it's fun. to see where he ends up, that guy. Very Same. curious to see where he lands. Yeah, and um, do we think he can still, an, can still make an impact wherever he plays? Which it's not Barcelona. I mean, he's in Barcelona yeah, for now. I think so he's, I think he's like twenty-four. I mean, yeah, he's, he's very young. Time. He's very young. He's got time to like reintegrate and be the he's, star that everybody thought he was when he left Dortmund. You know what I mean? Right. He's. he's um, I mean, while he's at Barcelona, get the best out of him. <laughs> I, I, like try to drive that price up. Probably he might end up at PSG. Right, and which he was rumored uh, to be flirting with, I think, in the January transfer window, uh, amongst other places. I think Chelsea was a rumor where Tuchel shut that down pretty quickly. Uh, I think Manchester United didn't even inquire, and that was a long-term rumor that we've been seeing over the last couple of transfer windows. Uh, but I think I've said transfer windows now more than I've said uh, Wout Weghorst. As Spencer at the data desk says, Price, he going for free at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that being said, um, the only other thing of note is that the Club World Cup started. Um, Monterrey got knocked out by Al Ahli, and the host Al 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 Jazeera lost to Al Hilal. So now the semifinals are Palmeiras, Al Ahli, Chelsea, and Al um, Hilal. Does Chelsea win that shit, or can Palmeiras win it? I'd like to see Palmeiras should probably win it. A lot, maybe. Uh, but Chelsea can keep it pushing. Keep it pushing. The Club World Cup, the funniest cup of all time. Very interesting tournament there. Uh, you know who runs the FIFA? Gianni Fantino. And you know what? You know what I think his name is an anagram for? What is it? Bullshit. Is <laughs> I mean, I I can't confirm that. Neither can Spence. But well, let's take his word for it. It's been the week time. 
Hey, drop that thing. And I want to mention Gianni Infantino because this is something he said not too long ago. Something that I didn't bring up. But I had to give it the of the week. He is insistent on playing the club, I mean the club World Cup, the FIFA World Cup every two years. Um, his latest defense of it is, um, oof, my stomach. Um, his latest defense of the club, of having the World Cup every two years is, quote, more World Cups could save African migrants from death in the sea. Hold on, what? More World Cups can save African migrants from death in the sea. Boy, come on, shut your ass up. And he was impre- he was present today at the final with his pinhead ass. <laughs> Big old pinhead. Yeah, um... No. Um, what is this man thinking? Um, he's out of his rabbit ass mind. Been that way. Um, keep the world up every two years and keep it pushing. If every you want to, f- whoa, 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 Hey. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Make your hands sting. There you go. Um, so that's one. Last week I mentioned that um, Greg Berhalter had a quote saying um, he, was, he wasn't satisfied with the result, but he was satisfied with the USA performance against Canada. Um, little did I know, I just saw what ESPN put out. Little did I know, he called... The performance against Canada dominant. My man, I mean, I think his eyelashes froze, covered his eyes. It is cold out there. I've been there. You know, he's probably too preoccupied with you know, breathing. Sometimes in that cold weather, your nose hairs kind of freeze. Maybe he just didn't wasn't familiar with that feeling, and he was too preoccupied. I just said thinking about the match because I don't think the U.S. in my opinion against Canada. Why I'm not going to say the U.S. are crap. Uh, it seemed that Canada were in definitely, I think, in control. U.S. definitely had chances, uh, but when Canada score early and then score late to kill the game off, and the U.S. is attacking but not finishing, we call that, you know, not being clinical, and uh, that's exactly what the U.S. were. Um, he, he's trying to go for the Jose Mourinho, the best team lost, and that's not true at all. He strikes me as a manager who. He strikes me as a manager who's there for the vibes. Yeah, AKA he's not necessarily watching the match. <laughs> Clearly he's not, he's taking selfies with cold American fans. Yeah. And um, people care more about his drip than his tactics. Bruh. Delicious is he wearing today? Well, what formation are you playing? Why did you bench Christian Pulisic? There you go. Who, by the way, subject of my other BSP week, not necessarily Pulisic, but um, one of the Fox's reporters was like, um, you know, they did a you know, post-match interview bringing up Pulisic. They got this quick brace. I'm like, Pulisic was like, brace? Um, same goal I scored didn't count. What do you mean brace? Yeah. And then, you know, look, look a little bit dumb. It happens, but he has a week nonetheless. 
There we go. Elvi, what about you? Okay, so for me, you mentioned it last week, but I can't go another day without talking about this. I'm like that meme where the guy is like struggling not to say something and he's got veins on his face. Uh, being sports, an AFCON final, the coverage all around, dog shit. Disgusting! Or should I say bullshit? From the commercials mid match, the commercials mid match, the goddamn, uh, 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 you know, Latin uh, color commentator who popped in once every 45 minutes. I think I heard his voice once, literally the entire time. BS of the week, BS, please, you guys are criminals. Just get rid of it. You don't even look like you want it. Look at ESPN, take that shit. I'm saying, boy. So, um, and then next, uh, we mentioned the FA Cup match, Spurs versus Brighton. Uh, after the match was over with, a fan, a Spurs fan, runs on the pitch, finds Steven Bergwijn. Bergwijn proceeds to give him his uh, his shirt, and the fan is then taken away by security. What I didn't know, I saw this um, online, that matchgoers who've been in the games in person before, something that I haven't done, obviously, uh, in the Premier League at least, have said that when the security catch pitch invaders, not only do they ban them sometimes, you know, from the stadium or from the league, um, but they also take away anything that's been given to them by players, which I'm like, you ain't got to do that. Like, it's not like you forced Steven Bergman to give him the shirt. And so, uh, yeah, BS of the week, like, all right, I get it. Pitch invaders, you want to make sure that you keep control and whatnot, but don't take away the stuff that they get from, you know, uh, players and, and things of that nature. Like, let them have that. If they, if they got it, they got it. Yeah, you know, let them at least walk away with some sort of prize for doing what they did. Uh, so basically to that. And that's really all I got. So Now that you mentioned um, pitch invaders, there was one at the Nottingham Forest Leicester City game. Um, after Nottingham Forest scored, someone from the Leicester City away and ran on the pitch and started swinging at the Nottingham Forest players. <laughs> he, want, he wanted smoke for that ass whooping. He was trying to whoop some ass for the ass whooping he was getting. That's what that was. And uh, yeah, ultimately Nottingham Force will take the we'll get the last lap. Oh one. They scored a late one too. Mm. Oh, is anything sense? Uh Senegal, uh Harvey Elliott coming back, Luis Diaz cooking, Marco Asensio scoring the game winner today. Uh let's see, anything else with Liverpool, Real Madrid related? No, I think that's it. Oh, and they both won, so Spencer with three W's today. Um, <laughs> Everybody who won, congrats. Congrats. Good weekend overall. Peace and love to go. the universe. And everybody should re-up at, uh, at Liverpool. Sadio Mane, Osala just signed those contracts. <laughs> okay, that was Spencer with the shout-outs. Oh, man. All right. Well, but also pay them fairly. <laughs> All right. All right, Ronnie. Before Spencer comes back with any more shout-outs, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? Our first live pod. One more high five. There we go. Oh, I hope that really comes off well. Let's get it. This has been episode 80 of the Football Misfits. Because I think this has been a success. We might do a lot more of these. We might even do live bits. We might even get that on and popping soon. So check that out eventually. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, getting in touch with us, and interacting on Instagram at Footy Misfits. Episode 81 is right around the corner as LV's holding up them stickers. Again, hit us up in the DM. For 
the good brother Spencer and LV who's right here next to me. I can see that bald head gleaming in the light. Woo! It feels like a bald head. <laughs> I go by the name of Ronnie. I have a, a head of hair. We'll see you on episode 81. That's right around the corner. Be strong. Be brave. Adios, mi gente. Five, five, or ten. Come on, let your boy. <laughs> Bing, bong, bing, bong.